So um, hi everyone, today in the NP studio, we have with us uh, Mr. Mina Stoll, um, who's, who brings with her wealth of experiences, um, currently serving as an account director for LinkedIn Marketing Solutions. Uh, before that, she's worked in a bunch of other places, um, including um, you know, being a social media creative editor for DFL Digital Sports, which covers the game days for the Bundesliga. Um, she was also an intern for the FC Bayern Munich football team, a chief marketing officer for Partio Inc., a digital consulting intern for the White Fox, and a whole lot of other things. And currently, um, you know, as a passion, she also leads her own podcast by the name of Femme Hive, so um, yeah, that's I think a great point of um, starting this conversation. Femina, thanks a lot for coming here first of all, and um, just wanted to know how is how's Fem Hive and how's that entire experience been for you? Yeah, well, first of all, Naman, thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking yeah. forward to this conversation, and it's always great to talk to fellow podcasters. Uh, yes. You know, <laughs> you know the pain, um, but also you know the rewards. Um, so true. yeah more than happy to talk a little bit about FemHive. Um, maybe let me start from the beginning. So I graduated from Duke in 2017 and, you know, everything was really, really exciting. I just graduated from arguably one of the best universities in the world. So what I was supposed to be was to be excited and ecstatic to, you know, embark on my professional career and while, you know, the adrenaline and the, you know, dopamine lasts for a couple of weeks, like right. I think like two to three months into my post-graduation um, life, I started to feel really like anxious, overwhelmed and kind of lost because um, I realized that it was really tough to establish a new sense of identity that was not related to being a student anymore right. because, you know, up until that point, I had been a student for my, or pretty much the vast majority of my life. So mm -hmm. um, that was tough to navigate. And I also realized that as much as I loved my academic experience and at the best time at Duke, like school did not really prepare me for being a functioning right. adult, you know, and navigating my career, my personal finances, taking care of my, my well-being. So um I was actually suffering from depression for two to three years post-graduation. And um, at first I thought I was the only one who was going through that um, experience because I simply loved my college experience so much. However, once I started to open up and have really vulnerable and honest conversations with the people around me, I started to realize that actually everyone around me, you know, all of my peers were going through a very similar and very tough experience and didn't matter, you know, where in the world they were living, how prestigious their jobs were or how much money they were earning. We're all struggling as, as young female professionals. And that's kind of where the idea for FemHive was born, where I'm hoping to open up these conversations about, you know, the post-graduation depression and that, that challenging transition from college to the real world. So I can help young women out there to become more confident about navigating that, that transition uh, more successfully. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot for even, you know, opening about that, that phase of your life. Um, I have, um, I've had friends, you know, who have the experience that have gone through that themselves. And I think it's um, now it's a strength to actually come out in the open and say that, hey, I'm going through this. And I'm looking forward to connecting with people who are, who are going, undergoing the same experience and potentially 
you know, help them or just be with them, uh, get some sense of support and, and provide support simultaneously uh, to get out of this. So um, actually just touching upon briefly and, you know, totally up to you, however comfortable you are to talk about it, just mm -hmm. wanted to know what what drove you to sort of like, because I know it's a cocoon, right? Once you get into it, you feel, you don't feel so up. What motivated you to, to get out of that shell and really, um, you know, take on this challenge that now you've executed so successfully with the podcast? Yeah, thank you. I mean, for me, I just knew in terms of like my mental health, like it was just not sustainable to keep, you know, living with depression. And you know, I was seeing uh, a therapist for a while, which I'm a huge advocate and definitely recommend to anyone to seek professional help if they feel like it could be um, valuable to them. Um, but to me, it was also like, it felt like as if I had become victim of my own individual circumstances mm -hmm. and at the same time I was also very much aware of my insane privilege you know here I was working for one of the biggest tech companies in the world living in Dublin Ireland being surrounded by incredible people and on top of that being like a white privileged girl right so um on paper everything looked great and there would be millions and millions of people out there you know um, killing to be in my shoes. So I felt like I almost had also a responsibility and obligation to really drag myself out of that, you know, Definitely. deep hole that I had been in. And obviously, again, once I started to open up to, you know, friends, coworkers, um, you know, loved ones in my life, they, again, some of them reciprocated the feelings and that was certainly then a lot easier to move forward and also honestly like ask for help i'm someone who you know loves people but i'm also i have a lot of pride right so like yeah. asking for help is something that i usually don't default to i've i've gotten better at it over the years and it's something mm -hmm. you know that i've i've I, i've had to learn over the past couple of years but it's not you know it's kind of like my last resort, so so to say. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, all of these different factors, you know, to sum it up, you know, a high level of self awareness, wanting to to feel better, wanting to be to be happy again, um, while also knowing that I'm not the only person out there, and then you know, having the support from from the people I love um, that really helped me a lot along the way. That's that's so great. Thanks a lot for sharing that as well. And um, it's it's awesome to see, you know, how how that urge to get out of the shell also comes from within, and then you just start acting on it, you know, by default. Um, and sure. that's great to hear. And I'm sure now it's a source for inspiration for so many young women who are now be you know a part of your podcast. And thanks a lot mm -hmm. for sharing that. Um, so moving on from there. Um, LinkedIn. So you've been working at LinkedIn, you've been at the company for years, mm -hmm. and I've seen your profile. It's super robust. By the way, anyone, you know, who wants to create a LinkedIn profile, just go check her profile out. It is a very <laughs> robust profile. You know, there's so many things that you can do. And I had the pleasure of attending a panel that you were spearheading um, at Duke uh, with other LinkedIn, um, you know, engineers and product managers and all of that. And that was um, some great things to learn from there. Um, so I was just wondering, what what the culture is like at LinkedIn because we're talking about mental health we're talking about all these mm -hmm. inclusive communities and just you know the spirit of getting back together um how much importance does LinkedIn as a company levy to these things and maybe to the freedom that a person has to come out there and ask for help and even you know collaborate with people get support so the soft skill side of things 
Yeah, yeah, very good question. Also, just to preface this, you know, I, I'm not on here as an official, you know, spokesperson right. of LinkedIn, <laughs> right? So I'm just like sharing my 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 own personal experiences, you know, as as um, a private person. But you Definitely. know, in my experience, um, you know, the LinkedIn culture is is great. You know, one of the company's values is relationships matter, for example. So that means that there is a lot of collaboration and internal support systems in place. And certainly, you know, over the past year and a half, you know, ever since, you know, we've been sent home, the company's really put an emphasis on supporting their employees through various different initiatives. Like, I love the example, for example, they gave us a full week, like a paid week off in early April, like the entire company globally. And their, their narrative was essentially, hey, you've been working from home now uh, for over a year, take a break to to recharge. Um, So that's a great example there. I mean, there's different, you know, wellness initiatives um, that the company has both from a, you know, physical um, and a mental point of view. Um, There's an employee assistance program where, you know, you can call a hotline and then, you know, talk to someone, um, get some free counseling sessions. um, If, if, if needed. So there, there is a lot that the company does for its employees. And again, the overall culture itself is just very supportive. Like they really tend to hire people that have a strong cultural fit in the sense that, you know, you know, when you reach out to someone at LinkedIn, they will always, you know, reply and be supportive. And especially, you know, in my my realm of work, which is, you know, sales, which can be competitive. And it certainly is at other companies, including technology companies, but that's just not been my experience at LinkedIn, for example. So um, that's, that's been something that I've come to really appreciate, especially over the past year, year and a half. Yeah. Um, that's great, especially with LinkedIn. It's it's really interesting because lately I've been using the platform more actively, and I think so have many of the students because I think it's it's the number one platform not only for seeking jobs but also for exp- like you know exploring your professional network, reaching out to people, mm-hmm. and all of that. Um, I want to touch upon an interesting parameter that such big tech companies still face, and maybe you know they they still work upon regularly. Um, so you're in the sales team, right? So. Um, LinkedIn is a company which has like hundreds of millions of customers. Now, you know, it's around the world. Everyone mostly know what it is. You know, whoever uses social media knows what LinkedIn is. Um, do you see sales as, as a category or as a role getting more saturated or are there more avenues opening up for you to reach out to people with the product itself? Because it might be a little tougher or challenging as opposed to, let's say, if I'm in a startup pitching my idea to a random person because nine it's a high probability that they won't have heard of my product, but with LinkedIn, you know, they've heard of the product. So how, how do you go about that process? And what do you think about the sales aspect in general for big tech companies who are already so prevalent in the industry? Yeah. I mean, I think in general, you know, brand recognition helps a lot. And that's been my experience again, for certain, um, for certain products or areas of the business, you know, LinkedIn has really disrupted that space, let's say for hiring, for example, there are some competitors out there, but, you know, um, LinkedIn is definitely the market leader in in, in that space. Um, 
that also applies to, let's say, like B2B marketing, which is, you know, the business line that I'm part of with LinkedIn marketing solutions. There's no other platform out there that offers, you know, similar targeting capabilities, for example. So that definitely helps a lot at the same time, you know, with that brand recognition also comes a lot of responsibility, right? So we're always like trying to act as what we refer to as members first, putting our customers and members of the platform um, first. Um, so that's just something that's at the heart of, of, of our company. Um, in general, I think for technology companies, there is a lot of opportunity right now, especially in different markets. Like I'm based in Dublin, for example, which is, right. you know, headquarters for, for the EMEA um, market. So Europe, Middle East, and, and, and Africa. And for a lot of technology companies, especially American technology companies, uh -huh. um, that region is the fastest growing one. And more and more uh, companies start to heavily invest in their presence in, in the EMEA region um, and within like EMEA, like the Dach region, which is Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, for example, is growing really fast. Um, the Nordics region, so all the Scandinavian countries, they're growing really wow. rapidly. So, um, you know, opportunity is not even close to being saturated at this point. And I can see, you know, based on the local hiring that, you know, there's so much opportunity out there, but then even like in the U S for example, which you would think is a more like saturated, um, market, market mm -hmm. even there LinkedIn at least is hiring like crazy right now, just, you know, because when you invest in new products, new features, uh, you definitely need more more people to to um, serve those those customers who might want to buy this new product. So um, I do think it's an exciting time to be in sales in general. And honestly, I wish I'd known about you know tech sales being a viable mm -hmm. option for recent college graduates earlier. Because, and I'm sure you would right. agree with me on that, Naman, but. I feel like when you're in college, you know, everyone wants to go either into consulting, finance, mm -hmm. or tech, but then being on the tech side of tech, as in, you know, like software yeah, engineering just, or right. product product management, right? Maybe a few people here and there in product marketing, but there's not as many opportunities in product marketing. And I just didn't see myself in either of those like roles. And, you know, as a result, it was tough for me to kind of like figure out, okay, where should I go? I know I want to work in tech, but like not on a tech side. So like what, what, what are the alternatives? And I've seen more and more of my peers, you know, people that graduated my year or like a year before or a year or two after a lot of these people are now going into sales roles, you know, like sales development, business development, account management, account directors, you know, all mm -hmm. of the different titles you can have. Um, so I do think that there's still massive opportunity um, out there. And I mean, we also have to think about the fact that a good chunk of senior leaders, including Fortune 500 CEOs and C-level executives, they start their careers in, in sales. Like, yeah, I remember like mm -hmm. Mark Cuban and Warren Buffett, for example, used to have, you know, sales roles. So I also think just from a skills and knowledge point of view sales gives you a great foundation just because you also frequently interact with so many different um functions and and departments like product marketing 
um, sales operations, um, support, billing, right. you know, all of these different uh, intersections that you have there. So um, for everyone out there who, who is interested in, in business, I think sales is, is a great option. Yeah, no, it's, um, I think that's a great pitch for sales <laughs> that you have. Um, <laughs> Thank <but> you. No, <laughs> makes a lot of sense because um, I think, uh, you know, I can definitely resonate with that as a college student. Now the scales have shifted, right? Previously, maybe in the 90s, early 2000s, you had these conventional professions. So you had medicine, law, you know, business, mm. just, just going into that. And now the scales have shifted a bit, but you still have those conventional sort of like popping in. So your finance, tech, consulting, you know, all these spheres uh, and people naturally gravitate towards them, not only because of the, the fact that they're conventional and that most of them even gravitate towards them because their peers are doing it or just for, to form a competitive edge. But sometimes they ignore the fact that their skill set or their competencies are different. And sales really brings out the, you know, the fact that if you're a good communicator, if you can get an idea across the table, you know, to another person, that's the space for you. And just, yeah, that's, that's so true. Um, so even at Cisco, which is the company that I'm working for, our CEO, Chuck Robbins, um, he started as a sales executive in the company as well. And so what many people feel is that, hey, you know, they, they just know the big names. So they know that maybe, okay, Bill Gates was, you know, he was a tech wizard and so was Mark Zuckerberg, but they keep forgetting that there's so many other companies extremely successful companies whose CEOs and founders and other C-level execs started as sales executives. And the interesting thing about sales that even I feel, and so I really want to learn about it, you know, I'll even reach out to you after this to, to see what, <laughs> what avenues are there to learn more, is that you really are a jack of all trades because you know every part of the company. You need to know that because you have to sell the idea across. Um, and so how, what merit do you give to sales as as like a profession in general in that sense that hey instead of just developing one niche or you know just going into one space you're now being able to interface with multiple departments and customers like how true is that does that happen at let's say a linkedin or or in general and then what do you think about that so a couple of thoughts here um so at least based on my personal experience a lot of people you know, they work in sales for a couple of years and then they would pivot along the way. And okay. I, I've seen that happen a lot at LinkedIn where people move from sales to, let's say, product marketing or to um, insights and analytics or sales operations. So there is a lot of opportunity to pivot, but I still think, you know, sales as a start just provides you with that great foundation. And because of what I was mentioning earlier, um, because you have these frequent interactions with different parts of the business, you just have such a such a holistic view of your company, right. um, which I think is really, really beneficial. And you get the bigger picture, you get the overall vision, you get what's really driving revenue, which at the end of the day, you know, that's your ultimate goal to to right. to to bring in revenue, right? Um so I think from that point of view, it's it's really great. And I also think even if you don't want to stay, you know, in a business role or you don't want to stay in tech in the long term, I think the the skills that you gain in sales are just so incredibly transferable to pretty much anything. I mean, you already so touched true. upon it earlier. Um, now, man, like communication, really important. But then also, you know, um, presentation skills, um, public speaking. I work with a lot of data. So being able to 
interpret data and, you know, share with someone, okay, but what's, what's the, so why behind the data? How can that right. data inform our future decisions? Um, you know, negotiation, obviously, then also depending on a role, a certain, you know, like technical knowledge as well, lots of industry knowledge, um, expanding your network as well, just by virtue of talking to a lot of people, you're going to grow your network, which you never know that might come in handy in the future as well. Um, so, and not even like forecasting, for example, being able to, you know, like forecast numbers accurately, that's super important, um, in, 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 in a business context. So there's so many different skills that you, that you learn that can be applied to, to a variety of different roles afterwards. Yeah, that's, that's so true. Like the idea of like skills being transferable in sales is so important. And that mm -hmm. is not as common as you think think it would be for other fields as well like let's mm -hmm. say you know take a software engineering you you never get to interface with the customers you only know what your demands is and then you design it accordingly but here you know a little bit of everything and that's entrepreneurial in a way if you think about it because mm -hmm. you know that way you're you're almost you know running a small part of business yourselves because you are the people who are driving the business to you know to the point where it is at the moment um and that's great. So now another part of sales, you know, is, is social media. And you obviously have a bunch of experiences um, to line up with that. Um, and my favorite experience is when you worked um, for Bayern Munich, because I'm a big soccer fan. Um, and I've been following Lewandowski for as long as I know now. So <laughs> just wanted to know, how is that? I mean, did you did you get to meet the players? Like, I'm, I'm really just fanboying right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get it. I mean, I'm I'm a big soccer and just overall sports fan myself. So I was definitely fangirling a little bit. So the year I was interning was um, 2016, which also happened a year where there was um, the Euros going on, you know, back right. when there was still, you know, like normalcy. Mm -hmm. um, so over the summer, the players were actually, you know, not around only, I think like maybe my last week or so they came back for like training. So I, right. I saw some of them. I, I didn't meet them personally, but I definitely like saw them around um simultaneously you know the olympics in rio were also going on so our uh, our women's um team or like i think it was like five byron players who were playing on germany's national team that was competing um in the olympics that summer so a lot of the players themselves were gone but because there was so much going on in the world of you know in the world right. of sports and soccer it was a really exciting time you know to follow all of our players on the various different national teams, obviously, you know, like with the Euros, you have a bunch of Bayern players on, you know, the German national team. But then as you were mentioning, like Lewandowski on, on, on Poland's team, you had, um, let's say, uh, who else was, was playing like, um, I think we had a bunch of players also on the French team. Uh, we had players on, you know, various different teams. So that was just very, very uh, exciting. And um, yeah, I mean, as part of the social media team, you get to experience it firsthand um, over the internet, you know, sharing game highlights, you know, whenever Lewandowski scored again for Poland, you get to share this on the various right. um, official social media channels. And um yeah, for me as someone who'd been really interested in social media for a while now and was very active 
you know, in, in college, um, that was just great, honestly. Yeah. Um, and like getting also like paid to do that, exactly. like getting paid to do something that, you know, you again, so many people yeah. would probably kill to do. Um, that was just cool. And the fact, like, I think like, I don't know maybe five weeks into it or so um my my internship manager actually approached me and um was asking me if i wanted to take over the digital strategy for the women's team like independently because they had so much trust in in me and my skills that they thought you know they could really like benefit from me running the show um on on the women's team so that was also really really great a great experience lots of trust um that they that they gave me which i greatly appreciated so overall great experience um you know especially also as a woman in a traditionally right. male dominated space um so yeah just uh positive experiences across the board. right yeah and, and and the point where you said that you know definitely it's so interesting to get like paid for the things that you actually love to do you know mm -hmm. even back then and um, yeah social media marketing is its own thing now um that's so interesting that you know how some of these companies create new ancillary markets that people mm -hmm. can you know take use of um i was interested in knowing because i'm i mean I'm not that big into social media campaigning or, you know, promotions myself, um, slowly getting into it. So I'm, I'm learning, you know, as I go, I have friends who are like influencers, you know, already uh, <laughs> on Instagram and places, but want to know how, I mean, what do you think about that market? Like, you know, people, some people still, still, you know, trivialize it stating that, oh, you know, it's just for fun, you know, it's nothing. But then there are people whose entire careers depend on it. Um, where do you think this market, like not only social media marketing, but like just social media in general with, with the space that it gives for people to promote themselves. And it's like a publicly, you know, just like a publicizing platform for any person. What do you think about it? Like, where is this market going in the future? So I think there's still a lot of opportunity and yes, you will always have, you know, the people who can make fun of like influencers or whatnot, but like, if you compare, you know, what, what you're making to, to what some of these influencers are, are, are making, uh, just, you know, in terms of like, um, you know, income, um, it is, it is impressive. And, you know, as someone who has been trying to establish and grow a brand, you know, of fem hype myself i know like it takes a lot of hard work so i've definitely, definitely. especially since i started fem i've come to appreciate um influencers much more and we can see you know even with like so-called micro influencers um when they do have a very loyal following there's still lots of opportunity for them to collaborate with brands just because you know uh, conversion rates are likely going to be um, much higher. So um, I think there's massive opportunity uh, still there. I think in general, social media is a great tool also just for personal branding purposes. I mean, right. um, LinkedIn, obviously I'm super biased there, but that's a great example of how you can really grow your personal brand. Like, And I think in the future, that's something that more and more companies will also appreciate because if you think about it um especially within tech I, I can't really speak to to many other industries just because i don't have any direct work experience there but 
I can even see it with my clients who are not um, in, in the tech industry, there is a war for talent going on. So like all the companies okay. want to hire mm-hmm. the best talent, right? And if you think about, you know, your employees automatically become essentially an extension of a company's employer branding and talent acquisition team. Because when, you know, you have someone who has, let's say like 10,000 followers who is working for a company and then they share, you know, how great company XY is as an employer and all the benefits that they're offering, career progression, leadership development, and all of that. And obviously more and more people are going to look at that employer as favorable and, and that will lead to, you know, more applications and likely, you know, more applications um, will allow them to be more exclusive and really like pick out the the best talent from the applicant tool. So um, I think from a company and employer point of view, um, social media is actually huge and can really drive, you know, um, recruitment and their overall employer brand forward, but also from the individual's point of view, like think about it. Let's say you are applying for a job, right? And let's say it's like marketing role or something in a digital space, or it doesn't even have to be um, marketing role. It could also be finance. And let's say you are a personal finance influencer with like 50,000 followers across all of your channels and right. you're applying for um, a role and you're one of the final candidates and let's say your academic and professional you know background is similar to all the other applicants but then you have those additional 50,000 followers who do you think the company is going to choose wow. they're probably yeah. going to choose the person who has that really really big following and is kind of known as a thought leader in the space already. Because again, um, going back to what I was just mentioning a few moments ago, that person will then become a massive employer branding ambassador for their employer. Um, I've seen that at LinkedIn already. One of my good friends, Basan Chinoda, uh, she is more than or close to 50,000 followers on LinkedIn at this point. And, you know, she has massive engagement rates. And obviously LinkedIn is a company benefiting from that, um, directly and indirectly. So um, I think in the future, having those networks and and, and that massive following and having positioned, you having positioned yourself as a a thought leader or influencer or however you want to call it in, in that space will only be beneficial. And then obviously in the next step, if you want to turn it into a side hustle and monetize some of these channels, obviously we know that's also going to be super, super beneficial. Wow. Especially at the point you just said, I mean, monetizing it was never like, I mean, no one would ever think, um, especially when these platforms, you know, um, they just got into the market that that would be possible. But now Mm -hmm. with all these channels opening up and um, yeah, that's, that's a really interesting thing. I had not, um, you know, thought about it from that um, perspective before that companies would look at these people who have an active following or who have, you know, maybe, I don't know, you know, such podcasts or whatever, like if they have like an active listener or or like a following count, then that's definitely an edge that they have over other candidates when they're applying for Mm -hmm. it. 
Um, and um, yeah, that, that also stands true for so many companies because um, I was looking, you know, how the LinkedIn profile, like now in my, in my dashboard, uh, based on my connections, the profile can update itself like every second if I just reload the page, right? And for the last week or so, um, or last two weeks, I've been just seeing the different companies uh, making these big announcements that, hey, um, you know, we're done with our 2021 program. We're now recruiting for summer 2022. And here are a few of our interns and their stories. And they all have these like, it's almost like a pitch, you know, where the interns are sharing their own stories. They have national mm -hmm. intern week events. And just how some of them talk about how well they're being pampered and all of that. And so it's just, um, yeah, it's like making your employees like another product that the company advertises, mm -hmm. right? So that's, um, that's super interesting. Um, on another end, um, you, I also saw that you were working, you worked in a radio company, right? So you were mm -hmm. doing radio for some time. How was that mm -hmm. experience? I've always wanted to know what radio jockeys <laughs> and how, how that space operates because you never get to, you know, see anyone. It's just over yeah. audio. So how's the, yeah. yeah. I mean, so for me, you know, going into college, I thought I was going to end up in journalism. My dad is a journalist and, you know, I I'd been enjoying writing all my way through, you know, high school. And um, my dad had also started his career in radio. So for me, that was just kind of like an environment that I was almost born into, like, um, I personally don't remember it, but, you know, my dad has all of these stories, how he took me to his like studio and I would like play with all the buttons there and, and all oh, nice. of that fun stuff. Um, so yeah, for me, that was just a natural progression and, um, it was a very fun experience. I did it for about a year and a half before I moved to the States. I was back in, in, in Munich where I'm from originally, and it was, a role that afforded me to, you know, study full time, but doing this kind of on the side. Um, I was part of, you know, the Friday uh, news editorial team, and then also the, the the sports editorial team. You know, going back to my passion for sports. Yeah. <laughs> and so I got to create radio reports. Um, you know, based on a variety of different topics. You know, for the Friday editorial team, it was like based on what was happening locally. So I would, you know, pitch an idea in the morning, go out, find interview partners, which could be, you know um government officials from the local um or regional government you know the state of bavaria or the city of munich or like artists um or professional athletes and then you know i'd come back um like around noon probably and then start writing my script editing my interviews and turn that into like a usually two to three minutes piece that would then air in our daily show between, I think it was like 5 PM and 6 PM. So very quick wow. turnaround. Um, and I did, you know, some longer term projects for the sports um, editorial team. And then I also got to, to host some own, some of my own shows uh, live on air and uh, yeah, definitely very fun experience, which is also why, you know, then the progression to becoming a podcast host was was pretty seamless for me just because I already right. knew how to write for audio. I already knew how to to edit. So um yeah, that was that was 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 cool that I was able after to to leverage those skills and those experience again after so many um years that had passed in between. Wow. Yeah. Um 
the fact that you mentioned that you know um going on air, or even i was thinking about like how social media now offers you the ability to go live mm-hmm. or you know even what we're doing right now there's no like multiple yeah. takes to this right so on one hand i was i mean i'm i'm a huge like movie fan as well and this is mm-hmm. maybe a segue into another conversation but um you know i i want to know what your thoughts are on the fact that um like how organic a person is right like i mean when you're talking like this uh, it's almost instinctive the thoughts that come out of your head um and and at the same time when you're like shooting something or you know even a commercial or or anything even an ad for a company there's multiple takes because they want you to ace a certain benchmark that they expect yeah. you know should be the thing um do you think that in the new normal that's now to come right and and with the new styles of marketing and advertisements there are um because even with podcasts right i mean you have like ads playing into podcasts you know all these branding you know mm. avenues there as well do you think like all these avenues where you you are your organic unfiltered self and that's just you it's it's on air it's live it's it's you know feed, you, the, the stream is there for people to view at that time and that time only mm-hmm. in real time um do you think that's going to be the next wave of you know branding or advertisements or is it still going to just stick around to the original you know 50 60 takes and then you you shoot an ad advert or whatever like it just in, in the realms of marketing i was interested to know what, what do you think about that I mean, I personally think that there's always going to be a mix because you know like live videos. I mean, there is going to be more and more opportunity to also commercialize live video um and to run ads on live video, but as of now it's still mostly an organic channel that companies and brands use um unless there's some official, you know, pre-negotiated partnerships, which also already happens. um so that's on the organic side i don't think that you know like the heavily produced um yeah planned ads or marketing initiatives are going to go away um just because there's so much money behind those so they really want to ensure that it's looking good at the same time i do think that over recent years with the advent of of social media i do think that also advertising in its core has become more authentic or at least you know that's mm. what our expectation as consumers is even if something is scripted we still want it to feel natural and authentic right so um i think that's also something you know going back to linkedin that works really well on linkedin from an organic point of view when people are just very authentic and honest and and vulnerable um if i think about you know my favorite ads that are scripted you know like um one that always comes to mind is always you know uh, oh, female yeah. hygiene uh, products um or like you know period products and they had this um this uh, like a girl campaign a few years back where they're trying to emphasize that you know you can run like a girl and you're awesome and you're strong and right. you know just you know be true to yourself and you you are enough as a girl as a and it was just a beautiful campaign even though that was obviously you know like scripted and planned and a lot of ad dollars or went went into that whole project the end result still came across as being very authentic and endearing and and just organic um right. so yeah i think overall life 
video or like live video capabilities are great and it's definitely where you know we're gonna see a lot more of that moving forward but at the end of the day you know it's oftentimes still brands and companies behind it and they want to drive revenue right so they will find ways to to um commercialize those revenue streams um in in the future as well yeah and and it's a quite interesting space i mean i remember back in high school um we in in one of my like english classes um we were studying advertisements and you know like how they appeal to they have this triketra so they have three greek words um it's it's i think they call um ethos logos and pathos mm -hmm. and like ethos yeah you know so you know credibility logic and, yeah. and emotion and how you know advertisements really want to target all these three mm -hmm. you know um points of the triangle um but yeah, I mean, the reason why I also mentioned it is because the authentic self or the authenticity that you're talking about really also comes in like word to word marketing. Like mm -hmm. if I'm talking to you right now, right? And if I mentioned that, hey, I was going through this yesterday and it really seemed like a good fit, chances are that that retains with you more so than just like a random advertisement that you watch of the television. Yeah. But also, you know, at the same time, that market has seeped itself through, you know, over all these years. And so uh, it is here to stay. But obviously, you know, we'll see, uh, we'll see where that goes. And um yeah and uh, you know time flies but uh, right before we uh, we end with this episode um i i want to touch upon something interesting so I'm, i've mentioned you or oh, sorry i remember you mentioning so many countries in different places that you've been at right and i literally i see a globe and like a map right behind you in your space um which which looks really aesthetic uh, what i mean can you just tell me a little bit about like how many places you've been to or you've lived at and because and how maybe that shapes you as an individual because you know sometimes people who travel a lot or who, who live at different places really undermine that that international mindedness that comes with it mm -hmm. and many people don't even know what it is so could you just uh, you know elaborate a bit on your personal experience in that front and maybe what do you think about yeah that? sure i mean to be quite honest with you naman i'm not nearly as well traveled as i would like to be there's right. still like, <laughs> so many countries on my on my list but um yeah so born and raised in in germany um and then i had the opportunity to visit the US a couple of times. You know, my dad is a huge America fan. So he took me there on vacation. I went on student exchange programs there. Um, and then I knew I wanted to, to study there eventually. Um, so that's when I went to, to Durham, North Carolina to study at Duke. Um, and then I moved to, to Dublin, Ireland and have been there for almost three years at this point. Um, so those are the three countries I've lived in so far and I'm planning on returning to the US, you know, uh, long term. Um, I'm very intrigued by the entire APEC region because I've never been to Asia. I haven't been to New mm -hmm. Zealand, Australia yet. So that's probably next on my list, like really intrigued by Singapore and Indonesia, for example. Um, and that's also the beauty of, you know, having gone to a university, you know, where you can find so many different people from different countries. Like one of my best friends lives in Singapore and, you know, right. growing up in Germany, like there were no Singaporean people, like, you know, um, just wasn't a thing. So Singapore was never really on my radar and now it is. And I could even see myself like moving there for like two, three years or so. And also a really, really um interesting experience for me was also you know being exposed to um the racial discourse because again like here in 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 germany there's a bunch of white people running around um 
We do have a lot of immigrants from places like Greece, Turkey, from the, the Balkan states. So, uh, and I've unfortunately like witnessed a lot of, you know, systemic oppression and, and um, discrimination there growing up, but I was never really exposed to a lot of um, people of color. And then I got to Duke and that was obviously a completely different experience there. My best, one of my best friends and my Duke roommate, um, my name is Eden. She's fantastic. She's the daughter of Ethiopian immigrants and she, she is black, right? So her experience is always going to be very different from my white girl privilege experience. So that was really interesting. Or, you know, a lot of my friends that I met at Duke, um, are Jewish, you know, based on the horrific things that, you know, my country has done to, uh, to Jews, uh, in, in the Holocaust, as you can imagine, there's not that many Jewish people living in Germany anymore. Right. Um, so I had never really been exposed to, to that culture either, um, up until I moved to Duke and it was just really, really, um, inspiring to, or not, I don't know if inspiring is the right word, but, um, it added a lot of perspective to my life. Let's put it that way. And then when I moved back to Europe, um, and joined LinkedIn, you know, as, as the Silicon Valley of Europe, Dublin is very international hub where so many people are, you know, moving to from all over the world, like at LinkedIn self, I think there's more than 60 nationalities, um, wow. represented so you interact with people from different countries and cultures all the time and I've come to really value that cross-cultural collaboration like I know for example you know what works in Germany doesn't necessarily work in France or in England or in Sweden right exactly and mm -hmm. those cultural sensitivities I think are really really important um, and it's interesting because you know some just American companies, there's, they've learned now, they, they realize that, oh, like my US-centric marketing approach is not going to work in Europe. You need localization so of like content and like um, advertisements in local language and, and, and all of that. Um, but that's just been like a fairly recent development where, yeah. you know, our leaders in EMEA finally convinced, you know, the US uh, headquarters, like, oh, we actually need to, need to, um, need to be more cognizant of those um, regional differences. And I'm not just saying uh, LinkedIn, but I think, right. you know, tech as a whole. So yeah, overall, lots of added and lots of valuable perspective that I've gained over the years. And um, yeah, but I'm still not done traveling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think this, neither are we, you know, everyone just loves to travel. I think most of us do. Um, but yeah, I think cultural sensitivity is pretty, uh, pretty underrated, I want to say. And I think to have that is not only important for a person when they're, let's say, you know, we're like both of us, even I go to Duke, you know, it's we're privileged that we get to meet with people from so many different nationalities. But even many of my friends who are back home in India, uh, and they've been in India for all their lives, you know, uh, cultural sensitivity do doesn't just come in, but like, I mean, you should make yeah. the efforts to get that in because not only for a person, but also for a company, it's really useful when you're pitching your products. I mean, I remember, uh, and as you said, it's so true that it's, it's a recent development um, that previously on, on my local telly in India, uh, we would see all these Americanized adverts for, for the American tech companies. And now all of them have boiled down to just local citizens of India, you know, you know, promoting their brand and 
that product. And that's really important. Um, so not only from a person, but also from a professional standpoint, I think it's really important to at least go around the world, travel and, and go to Dublin. I mean, I my cousin <laughs> is there. Uh, he's originally from India. And uh, he's, I think, yeah, he's, he's a doctor there now. And he told me it's the beautiful place. It's such a beautiful place. And it's definitely a hub for innovation. And it's, it's mm-hmm. rightly called um, the Silicon Valley of Europe. So, um, but yeah, that's um, so many great things to take away from this conversation. I hope our listeners have, you know, lots to think about. And uh, thanks a lot for taking out the time to do this, Tamina. It was a pleasure to have you. And yeah, that's, um, you, you guys stay tuned for the next episode of the NP Studio. Thank you so much for having me, Naman. This was a wonderful conversation. And thank you for all your thoughtful questions. (laughs) Thank you.